In this week's episode of Studio Inter, we'll be previewing the Milan Derby with Milan TV commentator Sheridan Bird. We'll be reviewing the Empoli and Udinese wins. We'll be also previewing the Sheriff game in the Champions League. This week's Moji, Moratti and Frog. And much, much more everything you want Studio Inter on your center, inter.com. Benvenuti, bentornati to another edition of Studio Inter. I'm your host, Nimatale Ruzzari, welcoming you to a great week when uh, Inter won two games in a row, uh, kept two clean sheets, um, going into a very important week. But before we get into all of that, let me introduce my panelists, uh, starting with our good friend, uh, Michael Gallo, all the way from Canada, producer over on TSN. Uh, how are you doing, Mike? I'm doing really well. That was a rare uh, six points uh, between podcasts. Uh, enjoyable week and uh, glad to be back with you guys today. It's good to have you back. Um, it's good to be with you. Um, and also, um, we're go- we're also joined by Semperinter.com preview- uh, Sempre- uh, feature writer, writes a column every week called what Five Things We Learned From Inter This Week, Mr. Jake Smalley. You thought I was Melden for a minute, didn't you? That's really disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like every Monday I'm used to saying this for like a couple of years now. So, really cool, yeah. Mr. Positivity there as well. <laughs> well, I guess you can pick up the cloak from from Mr. Positivity now that he's missing a pod, which is really rare. Um, so you can you can fly the flags of positivity. I guess that's easier uh, given given the week we've had. Um, Right, and we're also joined by a very special guest. He's a very good friend of the show. Uh, last year, he used to commentate for the good people from Fiat. He no longer does that. He's uh, he's instead moved over to Inter's Crosstown Rivals, commentating for Milan TV. Welcome, Mr. Sheridan Bird. Hi there. Hi, guys. I, I hope you are all well. Nice introduction, Nima. I, I confirm I am working for the uh, European Cup-wise, most successful team in the city of Milan. <laughs> well, that's that is true. But I mean, let's start there. It's going to be. I mean, let's start at w- with the Milan derby because it's it's quite a fascinating derby. I think this is probably the the most interesting derby in terms of quality that we've seen between these two sides in, in a very long time. Um, Milan are more mature, a year more ready than they've been excellent start as is now usual under Stefano Pioli um and Ibrahimovic who, who no longer who, who's firing you know he's 40 years old and, and and is just amazing um what are your expectations going into the derby what kind of game do you expect to see well first of all I have to agree and say that this is this could be one of the best derbies not not just in terms of on the turf but in terms of uh, what the teams are fighting for for quite a while, because certainly since I moved to Milan permanently, which was 2015, there was a large spell of just really insignificant, dull derbies. But this this one has the makings of being anything but that. And as you say, Milan have got off to a cracking start um, into the odd um, the odd stumble, but they have you know got those six points in the last uh, week or so. So this, I think this could be a really entertaining, keenly fought match that I think will be decided by quality. And that hasn't always been the case in the last few years, um, you know, half a decade almost. I've, I've watched a lot of uh, derbies between the two sides that have uh, been decided because someone fed asleep in defence or you know, someone just didn't do their job properly. But my feelings are that this could be a really, um, really high-quality derby. I guess the only thing to consider is... What happens in midweek in Europe in terms of injury, if the matches, either matches particularly uh, demanding, might have a big say. But uh, if, if all of the key players for both sides get through unscathed, it could be a, it could be a cracking derby. Well, it absolutely could. Um, um, I want to I want to ask you a little bit about also about what were your thoughts on everything that's happened at Inter since we last spoke. Uh, since you were last on the pod, because um, quite a lot has happened. Inter won the Scudetto, Antonio Conte left, he's going to Spurs, apparently. Um, and now, uh, and then Con- and then uh, Lukaku and Hakimi left as well. Um, what do you make of everything that's happened at Inter? I mean, what, what do you think, how well do you think Simone Inzaghi will do? Well, I think Inzaghi is doing well. I think he's uh, one of the best young, youngish coaches. I mean, in terms of management, he's young. He's one of the best youngish 
coaches in Italy. I like his style. I think the Inter fans appreciate what he's doing and they like the way he was playing. I mean, it's definitely um, a, a cavalier, everything on the table style football, which I think Inter fans would probably like to see within reason, not not in a suicidal sense. And to answer <laughs> to answer the first part of your question, I mean, you could say that it's it's been a, a mad couple of months, but it's also been a very inter couple of months because. You know, I'm among friends here in a sense that I can say that we all know whether we support Inter or not. It is a club of, um, you know, it's Pat Saint, Amala, etc. They they are known for being, it's, it's a madhouse. I think everyone knows that and I think the fans, you guys, embrace that even though it can occasionally be the bane of uh, your, your sporting lives. But it was almost a typical Inter summer, sort of win the league, knock the bad guys off their perch. We've got the best, uh, one of the best strikers in Europe. Oh, but hang on, Conte's grumbling. Oh, look, Conte's gone, but it's okay. We're not going to need to sell any play. Oh, Lukaku's gone. Hang on, and Hakimi. And all of a sudden, in a way that I can describe, again, respectfully, with affection, only Inter, I think, could go from the joy, the ecstasy of winning the league and uh, ripping it from the clutches of the, uh, as you call them, the folk from Fiat, and then everything sort of disintegrating or parts of it falling off. To me, it's very, very inter, and let's be honest, it's it's part of the charm of the Nerazzurri. Well, I I can tell you that I don't find it charming anymore. I I want boring wins. I want stability. I don't know if it's middle age or what it is, but I want I want calmness. Um, I'm going to hand you over to Mike. Mike, did you have a question for Sheridan? Yes, Sheridan, I've got a very important question for you. Um, what is out of these three players? What is your favorite name? in Serie A right now? Is it Kevin Lasagna? Is it Alessandro Buongiorno? Or my new favorite, we've got one I just kind of dis discovered this week after watching Inter Udine, is Isaac Success. Of those three players, what's your favorite? Well, I have to say, I, I saw Success the other day have some success, and I thought that was impressive. But I think probably Kevin Lasagna, and I'll tell you why, because there are many layers to his game. Uh, he, he, um, at times, he's been playing for teams that were perhaps below his level, and he's been leading the line, so he's had a lot on his plate. And, um, and when he's on song, when he's fit, I'd say his finishing is delicious. <laughs> oh, I hate you for uh, that, Mike. I hate you for that. Ask a serious <laughs> question now. <laughs> good, good for good for you coming up on the spot with that. I'm I'm very impressed. <laughs> oh, great. Um, all right, now to something a little more serious. Um, okay, so I'm looking at Milan right now, and they've won five straight games, and I'm looking at them in Champions League, and they are horrific. Are they doing the the Inter route from last year, kind of crashing out and? going fourth place in the group just so they can spend more time on, on the league, which seems like it's, I mean, it's, they're still playing in Champions League right now, but it seems like that's kind of the way it's going to go. And if they're going to be successful to win the Scudetto, that might be the way to go, kind of like what Inter did last year. Yeah, I can see elements of what Inter have done in the last few years, or particularly last year. Obviously, it's not voluntary. I mean, I was at Milan HQ when the, the draw was made, and um, it was a real mixture of, of being pleased to be back in the tournament that you know they consider after Real Madrid they consider it their competition but the group was it couldn't have gone worse let's be honest I mean if the relatively easy team in your group are the team that are very aggressive by Portuguese league standards contain Pepe who is still going despite his um his advancing years uh one of the best um Iranian, um, the Iranian attacker Taremi, which I have probably pronounced incorrectly, but thankfully we have a, a person who can help me with that. But I've seen him, I've seen him give real problems to Juventus, and I've now seen him really give uh, the uh, the much uh, uh, vaunted um, Milan central defensive partnership of Kier and Tomori gave them a nightmare. So yeah, it's um, I do think unfortunately because it would also for me for work-wise it'd be a shame if they went out of Europe at the first hurdle completely, doing an inter so to speak. But it's so tough. They've really put themselves in a difficult position because teams have come back from losing their first three games before, but not teams in the same group as Liverpool, who this season they're my tip for the Champions League by the way. So 
feel free to um, you know, record that and send it back to me if they get knocked out in the first <laughs> knockout round. But I do believe Liverpool will win the Champions League. Atletico are always a horrible team to play against. Atletico at San Siro against Milan, you know, just showed why they're such an unpleasant opponent. Um, and as I say, Porto are, are not to be underestimated. So you could well say that Milan, if they do get knocked out of Europe completely, they could use that time off during the week to work on training, to get the um, fitness levels back up, to rest the key players because they do have some ageing stars. So, yeah, I mean, glass half full. If they do get knocked out, they have to use it to their benefit, as uh, as Antonio Conte and Inter did. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Jake, did you have a question for Sheridan? Then the floor is yours. Uh, I haven't been able to think of a silly one. I was, I was going to ask you what your perfect Sunday is like, but um, no. I, I'll, 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 stick with, I'll stick with logic and uh, reason and sense. Um, I, I wanted to ask you who you think will finish higher in the league this season. you think Inter will finish higher? Or do you think Milan will finish higher? I loved that Nima's cry of no when you said you were going <laughs> to ask a fun question because uh, I, I think Nima's right. There's no room for fun because it's uh, we're talking about Inter. So, uh, but, but I mean, I do believe that this feels like Milan's year, you know, and that's cynical people. I've got lots of friends in the city who are like you, are of the black and blue persuasion. And they keep saying how a lot of luck is falling Milan's way. And it's got that look of a, uh, a Scudetto season. And uh, personally, watching Napoli storming to the top of the league, I just, I have a, a really... I have a suspicion in my gut that much as I respect Luciano Spalletti, I think he'll find a way and Napoli will find a way of not being top of the table in May. So by process of elimination, I, I just think that leaves Milan. And um, they have bought shrewdly. They've got some exciting young players and then they, they've also got that uh, core of experience. Um, you know, again, I don't think no trophies. First of all, no serious trophies are given out in November, so it's it'd be wrong to say that the title's already won by anybody. But Milan, they are looking very confident. They're looking like a good blend of uh, youthful exuberance and um, wise heads. They are getting a little bit of luck, it has to be said. But I think every team needs a bit of luck sometimes, and they look mature, as I think Nima mentioned in his intro. They look they look wise. They look battle hardened. So, um, if, you know, you asked me, and I'll be honest with you, even though I know the, uh, the, uh, the, the orientation of this podcast, I think Milan will probably finish higher than Inter because it just looks like things are clicking there. And as we said before, especially if they go out of Europe, they're going to have a lot of time to uh, pamper damaged, uh, you know, delicate older bodies and work on any, um, any, any tactical problems during the week. Exactly. Uh, I don't think that's a that's a fair assessment um, on, on that. But I mean, speaking of you know, speaking of Scudetti and, and who's going to win. I mean, give us your top six from one to six. Who you predict is going to how they how it's going to end, how it's going to pan out. Well, that's really caught me off guard, there, Nima. I thank you for that. I'll be sending you abuse <laughs> on WhatsApp when my phone gets sorted. Um, <laughs> well, you've, you're asking someone who supports Napoli, so I'm going to say uh, I hope. Do you, I mean, I hope Napoli finish top of the league. I think the top two will be either Napoli or Milan. Then I can see Inter in third. Then Atalanta in fourth. Ooh. Then. Yeah, because um, they, they've actually, a lot of uh, my colleagues in the English-British press were sort of asking me if this is the same Atalanta that has been doing so well for the last few years. But if you look really closely, they have uh, just refreshed things. You know, they, they have made a few moves and they have signed a few new faces, some of them with really strong characters like Demiral. Um, mm. So I can see Atalanta sneaking a Champions League place. Um, Juventus in a mess let's be honest so i think fifth could be Ooh. the final destination for them and sixth place i'm not convinced by um jose Mourinho's roma i'll be honest with you so i'm going to say more out of respect well love for the manager i'm going to say lazio mm, fair enough fair enough who do you think is going to be the capo cannoniere because i've got victor Osiman, uh, despite the fact that he'll be going to the african cup of nations in january uh, what about what do you think there? Who do you think is going to win the Capo Canoniere? Again, it's uh, it's another tough one. I mean, you always have to expect Chiro Mobile to be in there because he takes penalties as well. 
Um, mm. Ozymen doesn't take the spot kicks. Um, it's hard to say because a lot of the natural um, candidates do tend to get a lot of injuries. Um, so yeah, maybe I'm with you. And may, it might be Ozymen, might be Chido Immobile. Um, I can't think of anyone else at the moment. Vlaovic, I mean, let's imagine that Vlaovic gets a dream move for him to one of the... Uh, you know, one of the Champions League clubs, and they can put chances on him. So, put chances on a plate for him. He could uh, have a good one. And um, so, keep your eye on Vlaovic, even if he stays at Fiorentina, which uh, he, he probably won't. He'll still have plenty of chances as the main man. So, I would guess, I hope Ozimen, but I have my suspicions it could well be Chiro Immobile. But keep an eye on, um, keep an eye on Vlaovic. Mm, no, for sure. Um, I, I think this is his last season in the Serie A. Um, it's uh i i uh, it's i mean i i would like to see him stay in the Serie A and and i think that juve are absolutely gunning for him but uh with antonio conte at spurs um it wouldn't surprise me if we saw him move there next summer but i i think that's a good shout what about uh, i mean just quickly uh, coppa italia and uh, supercoppa do you think that juventus who are in a mess will will win anything this season or who do you think will win those two titles uh, the Coppa Italia is a strange one, is it? Isn't it? In the sense that the, the the again the top clubs, however you want to define that, of the Champions League placing clubs, don't really enter the competition till uh, quite uh, advanced. So it could be any one of the big clubs, to be quite honest. And as you say, it could be a form of um uh, of uh, redemption for Juventus. I mean, uh, Andrea Pirlo, he did get some silverware last season, albeit the less glamorous trophies, but. I wouldn't write Juventus off for that, but it's it's not what they would have uh, been expecting at the beginning of the season. But um, like I say, I wouldn't be surprised if it is uh, Juventus that win the Coppa Italia because it's it's quite simple for the uh, top clubs. They don't play that many matches, and if their season is really derailed, and if it's really in terms of league position looking bad, I think they're going to put everything into winning a trophy. Coppa Italia, so they can say, look, you know, we did finish this season with some silverware, continuing our streak. Mm, that's true. That's that's a good shout. Um, before we let you go, um, do, uh, I want to hear if it's okay. I know it's a uh, it's Caramancia, but w- are you? Would you be comfortable to predict the Milan derby? I'll be comfortable, but I don't know if you guys will be comfortable with my prediction. So uh, you know, <laughs> go for it. I think. Uh, the Association Calcio Milan will win 2-1. Um, you're welcome to, again, save that clip. And if I'm wrong, uh, taunt me with it. But I just think they're more advanced. In, I mean, it's, it's, log- it's logical that they're more advanced in this. Um, this it, they're more in their groove because they've been with Pioli for several uh, seasons now. Whereas Inter are still getting to know um, Inzaghi and vice versa. Um even I've had some friends who support Inter saying that it's actually bad that Teo Hernandez, Teo Hernandez is not playing because they, they were kind of looking forward to just getting into some of the uh, holes that he leaves in defence when yeah. he gallops forward. There, there is that argument. I mean, I like Teo Hernandez, but I completely accept that big matches, he does occasionally leave something to be desired. So there are those who sort of are a bit peeved that he's not playing. Let's say it's one of the rare occasions when both sets of fans are disappointed. The Milan fans are disappointed because he is such a an exuberant attacking presence, and the Inter fans are disappointed because they fancied um, they fancied sort of finding a few gaps and taking advantage of his uh, occasionally cavalier positioning. That's 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 actually what I thought as well. Um, I think it's a it's a little bit of a blessing in disguise for Milan because that means that Inter won't be able to to maraud down that flank because he does leave. You know, when he, he when he goes on these runs, uh, he does leave acres of space behind, and and I think that that won't happen now. It's a little bit of a hmm situation. Thank you so much, Sheridan, for coming on. It's always a pleasure to have you, and thank you so much for food puns about Kevin and Lasagna. That really really made my day. Absolutely, it's always a pleasure to be on as well, and uh, I hope you guys enjoy the uh, the derby and. Um, I wish there could have been a second silly question, but Nima, <laughs> Nima, Nima nicks that one, which is uh, that's old grumpy Nima for you. <laughs> but no, on a on a slightly more serious note, enjoy the uh, the, the rest of the um, the week and enjoy the derby. And it'd be nice to speak again soon about food or football. 
<laughs> thank you, Sheridan. Thank you so much for coming on. Take care. Thanks, Sheridan. <laughs> right. Uh, let's talk on the derby. I, I th- I, let's start on that point because I think Sheridan is absolutely right. Uh, uh, that I, I, I honestly think that Teo Hernandez coming up there because I think Dar- Darmian would have played in his position uh, in, in t- to the right instead of Dumfries against um, against Teo, and he would have kind of waited to to attack. And now I don't really, I look at that and I'm thinking, hmm, where do Inter, what do Inter do? Um, and, and, and where do they attack? Because I think these teams are pretty evenly, evenly balanced. Uh, maybe I'd, I'd say that in midfield, Inter is a little bit better with Barella and Brozovic. And I mean, you know, there, there is the Chalanoglu factor that we're going to discuss as well. But I, w- I want to hear, let's talk, let's talk about Teo Hernandez thing. I mean, where are you on this, Mike? I don't think so. I mean, look, he's... He's a really good player. He's one of, uh, I think he's come up really quickly as one of Milan's best players right now. So I don't think it's a blessing in disguise that he's not on the field. I understand the logic of it uh, in terms of defensively, but uh, I, I kind of, I like Theo as a player. I think what he's, what he's done the last couple of years um, as he's, you know, gotten a lot better. Um, I don't, I don't see it as a negative look for uh, for Milan. That's just where I look at it. And no, I mean, I mean more, I mean more as a negative for Inter because it's, it's obviously. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, that's what, I, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm getting at too. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't think it's a negative. I think it's a, a good thing for Inter if, if that's the case. I don't know. Okay. Uh, that's okay. kind of. I, I understand the logic of of in terms of where Inter is going to be attacking and stuff, but I don't see that as and I. You know, I could be I could be totally wrong, but I I don't see it as a good thing for Inter that to, to, for Theo not be playing uh, for the Derby. I don't know. It's not it's not no. where I where I agree. No, no, I understand. What about you, Jake? Where are you on this? Uh, on the, the what, what do you think? I think if you had Hakimi in the squad still, I think it'd be a massive bonus. Because I think those uh, spaces behind that Theo does sort of leave a bit unattended will be truly exploited by Hakimi. Uh, I think at the moment it's pretty obvious that it needs to be Matteo Darmian starting in that right wing back slot at the moment. So I think, you know, based on what you said, Neymar, I think Darmian's someone who's played the game long enough. He's got that experience, that now to have taken advantage of Theo. But I think going forward, he's a little bit lacking. And I, and I don't really trust Dumfries just yet. You know, I, I don't want to write him off and give him criticism like a lot of people sort of have done. I think it's unfair to do that. But uh, I think we'd be looking at it in a much more of a different way if it was this time last year. I think Fona Bellotore will come in into that left sort of back slot and just try and be as solid as possible. So it sort of takes that idea out. But <clears throat> with Theo not playing, they do lose that attacking sort of quality from that left-hand side, which is probably a bonus for Inter. Mm, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's a fantastic play uh, tool attacking-wise for Milan and him not playing is good in that sense. But given how, you know, uh, you know how stable Inter have been looking defensively. I am kind of, um, I was kind of looking forward to exposing, to using that, to using the the space he leaves behind. But of course, I mean, let's be honest. Theo is a fantastic player, and him not playing is, is bad for Milan and good for Inter. Uh, sure, uh, but uh, looking, you know, look, we got to talk about Hakan Chalanoglu uh, because, you know, first of all, do you guys think he'll play, and do you think he should play? I thought the game against. Udinese was actually his best performance in an Inter shirt since the Genoa game. And then, uh, I think the reason for that is because it's twofold. I thought that the, 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 the problems that he's had with playing next to Brozovic and Barella are, are is slowly getting into it. I found that against uh, Udinese especially. He's slowly finding his feet in that position. Um, and secondly is because... Korea is more of a number 10. And I thought that when, when Inter play a 3-5-1-1, Inter are better balanced uh, for him to go on, on an attacking once forward. Um, so, so uh, do you, I mean, let's start there. Do you, do you think that he should play? And do you, do you think he will play? And do you think he should start? I'll start with you, Jake. Uh, to be honest with you, I've not massively been convinced by Chalanoglu at all. Uh, I, I wasn't sort of convinced by him when they signed him. Uh, I, I sat there a bit during the game on Sunday and prior to Korea scoring, you know, I thought, who would I take off? I'd take Dumfries off, I'd take Chalanoglu off and I'd probably take Korea off. Uh, you know, it's, it, it just shows that in some ways, you know, it, it might take a bit more time to sort of get used to things and he might improve. Similar to how we saw with Christian Eriksen, 
I discussed this briefly last week looking uh, at my five things and I think you can draw a lot of parallels between Sean Ogle and Ericsson when he first joined into he's a bit of a square pig in a round hole at the minute you know Sean Ogle is a player who's played off the left in his career he's played as a true number 10 now he's sort of having to play across the three when he's getting the ball now he's having to go sideways sometimes rather than be in a position where he can shoot or put a cross in the box so if he can adapt I think uh, over the next sort of few weeks he could become vital but it couldn't be a better time for him to uh, <coughs> excuse me, sort of kickstart his into career, really, given the fixture list that they've got coming in. And part of him will probably want to prove something to Milan fans as well. You know, it wasn't like he wasn't very outspoken about leaving this summer, was it, either, really? Yeah, that's that's a good point. What about you, Mike? I mean, what do you think about about should should Chalanoglu play and do you think he will play? Well, there's no doubt 100% he should play. Uh, this is like your perfect revenge game, and we have a lot of revenge games in North American sports, and we had a lot on the weekend in other sports, um, and you always see that player playing against their former team. They elevate their game. They, they've always got something to prove, and especially in this situation, Milan kind of gave up on Hakan. So it's like, as a manager, I want Hakan playing in this game, and as a player, I especially want to play in this game. And I thought he was pretty pretty good uh, against Udinese. I like I like he was getting pretty deep into uh, um, you know getting a lot of touches in, into the midfield, coming in deeper. I like I like to see that from uh, from that central attacking midfielder. Um, there's no doubt that when a player has it kind of a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, you need to have him at least get him into the game and see what he's going to be giving be giving you for the first 45 minutes. And if it's you know if he's not giving you what what you expect, then you can always make that that substitution. Uh, however, um, what I will say is, I think that you know I, he hasn't really done much the last I'd say what two a month and a half. He did start. I think his first it was his first game of the season. He scored right, and ever since then he hasn't really done that much. So this would be the perfect as. Uh, as Jake just said, perfect spot to kind of revitalize, kind of kickstart his season with Inter. I think that this would be the perfect time to do it. Mm, I'm, I'm inclined to agree. Right. Well, I mean, go. You know, it is it's it is the derby. Uh, it is an important. Um, you know, it, it is. It, I think that it's one of those games that if Inter draw this game, um, they they're still. You know, as long as they don't lose it. If they lose it, I think Inter are out of the Scudetto race already. Now, I think ten points. To Milan and Napoli is going to be too much to to re- to recover from. But if they win, of course they're in it. Um, and and if they draw, then then you can still s- say that they're in it because they're going to play. <clears throat> excuse me, Napoli after the international break. Uh, but a win in both of those games would be you know hallelujah. But I don't see that happening. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I'm thinking a draw. I'm thinking a one-one-two-two draw. Uh, w- w- what about you, Jake? What, what's your predictions? Oh, by the way, and I have to say, sorry, Zlatan Ibrahimovic is going to score against Inter. Just, just everybody, just expect it because that's what he does. He's going to score against Inter. He's going to, he's going to celebrate, turn to the Curva Nord and shush them. That, that's just, that's just, that's what he does. Just so everyone knows, that's going to happen. Probably from the penalty spot as well, if we're perfectly honest. So, so don't, you know, because if if Kessie is injured or something, but he's definitely going to score. Sorry, Jake, you, you, you're your turn. Yeah, no doubt about it. He'll definitely score in that game. Uh, I, I, I've I've been looking at this in quite a negative way, to be honest. I've been looking at it a little bit like the fixture last season, the first derby. I think a bit like what Sheridan said earlier, AC Milan are in a bit more of a better moment than Inter. Uh, I think Inter are getting better. I think, like we've mentioned, defensively they've improved. They look a bit more resolute. But I just think in the role that Milan are on, I think they're the favourites for me going into this game. I think they're a team more likely to win. They've got the home support as well. But I can't predict Inter to lose. I've made this promise to myself before I've ever predicted any sort of result. So I'm going to go with a 1-1 draw. Zlatan scoring and Correa will equalise later on. Mm. What about you, Mike? Well, that was exactly what I was going to say. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I was going to go with a 1-1 draw and Ibra from, from the penalty spot. And I was actually going to say Correa too, but now that Jake said that, I can't say Correa is going to score because he just scored two goals and he's not going to score again this game. I, at least I don't <laughs> think so. Um, I mean, look, L- Lotaro didn't start last game. I would expect him to start uh, the next game. So I would 
I'm going to say it's 1-1, but with low tower scoring. Um, I, I would disagree with the point that you made, Nima, that Inter is out of the Scudetto race should they lose this game. Um, I don't think it's it's we're there yet. We're still pretty early in the season, and I, I think Milan is overachieving at this point, and they're due for some letdown games. I know that Napoli is also up there too, so there's not just one team you have to worry about. But uh, I wouldn't say that a loss is like you know the end of the Scudetto race. Obviously, it puts a big dent in the season, and um, it's not ideal and probably brings their chances from probably in the somewhat mid 20% range to less than that. But I don't think this would be the, be the end of the Scudetto race should they lose this game, but I don't think they're going to lose. I think they're going to draw or potentially win. Well, I mean, if they win going into the international break uh, and then Napoli where Simone Inzaghi has got two weeks to prepare for that game. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm very, 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 you know, if they win against Milan, I'll be very confident going into the Napoli game uh, after the international break uh, because, you know, as I said, they, they play Napoli at home um, and, and, and I really think they can they can harm, harm Napoli there. Uh, I really, really think so because, as, as I said, I mean, when Simone has got two weeks to prepare, it's not a midweek game in between, uh, then, then I think he, he'll be able to, to pull it off. And it's, it will be Napoli and Shakhtar, uh, two games at home, so there's not much travelling to, to talk about either. Uh, so, I mean, the, these, these two next weeks, I think, are going to be pretty, not decisive, but a first important indication of where Inter is in the title race. I don't think Inter have started off the season poorly. I think they've pretty much done exactly what you could expect of them, and maybe a little bit even better. Uh, I thought they were unlucky in some games, but uh, regardless, I think you know, and it's it's only going to going to improve, I think, as as Inzaghi finds his feet. But I do think that on the other hand, Milan and and Napoli look so solid. They they are, they look so much more mature and solid uh, than they have in a very long time, and that's why I think ten points up to that first spot is very difficult because it would it would require a collapse pretty much after that. Um, be, because winning, beat, beating, beating those two teams, you know, it's still seven points up. So that's why I'm a little bit. Mm. But we'll have to wait and see. I think it's going to be quite the quite the title race for sure. Right. Let's. Uh, I mean, on you know, let's quickly talk about the Champions League game that we're playing on Wednesday against Sheriff away, a game that won't be allowed where Inter fans won't be allowed to travel to due to I think the the reason given is COVID restrictions, but. Um, I mean, regardless, I mean, we've we got to be honest. The Inter have to win that game. I mean, these two games against Sheriff, I, ke- I keep saying it. If Inter don't win, they have to punt. I mean, the remaining games because you don't want to go to the Europa League. And and given that, you know, they won, they, they beat Sheriff convincingly. If They have to win this game. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or, or, or about it. I mean, so so what do you guys think? What, what predictions are we predicting, so to speak? Uh, starting with you, Jake. Well, it's it's pretty cut and dried, isn't it? Uh, like you say, it's it's simply going to have to be three points. And, you know, history tells you and the DNA of this club tells you that it's not going to be straightforward and more likely than not, it's going to be nil-nil. Uh, I think if you look at the games against Shakhtar last couple of seasons, I think of the PSV one as well, uh, it's just really frustrating. I, I, find, I find it really hard to get myself excited about this game. Uh, we, we've seen that Sheriff can pull off sort of surprising results as well, which is not ideal uh, from an Inter perspective. For what it's worth, I think they've peaked a little bit this this campaign. Uh, but it, it, it's really simple. There's, there's, there's no other way it's, it's going to have to go other than three points. And Inter's going to have to absolutely go for it. My only concern heading into this game is uh, where the goal's going to come from. I think if, if you think about the game yesterday and you look at the team for the first 60 minutes, they were pretty blunt. And I think one player who looked a little bit tired and weary was Edin Dzeko for me. I thought he played well. It wasn't a criticism of his performance, but I thought he seemed quite tired. And it is clear to see that Inzaghi is relying on him quite a bit at the moment. So I think Dzeko is going to be the key. Uh, I think he's going to be the one that's going to sort of push them forward, similar to how he did in the whole match, which wasn't even that straightforward itself. Uh, I think if I'm going to sort of predict the game, uh, I, I want to be positive. So I'm going to go with a 2-0 win, but 
Uh, I don't think it'll be straightforward. Everything in my mind that has watched into over the past few years, it just points towards disappointment and frustration. But I'm going to try to be positive. Mo's not here, so they're going <laughs> to. Okay, fair enough. What about you, Mike? <laughs> yeah, uh, historically, like my entire my brain is just telling me this game is going to be a draw. Um, it's just, it's just this scream. It's just what we've looked at the last couple of years when we've been in these situations, when you've got that must win game and, and, and really inter takes, if inter takes three points in this game, I could really see Sheriff not getting a, a point the rest of the, the campaign and they can stay on six. Um, but I mean, everything, this is probably the most important game of the entire group going the rest of the way, because if this game ends up being a draw, Sheriff really thinks that they've got a shot to make it to the next round. And if they lose, I think their their morale is going to be gone, um, especially with Shakhtar right now, likely going to stay on one point um, after after four games uh, if they lose to Real. Um, I just everything tells me with with these previous Shakhtar games in the in the last couple years, everything just screams like a zero zero one one game, and uh, I don't like that, and I don't I don't like the fact that my brain is telling me this. Um, but uh, at the other end, I mean, look, that first game wasn't that, like, like Jake said, it wasn't cut and dry. It wasn't a, a guarantee. Like it was, you know, tied pretty late in that game, you know, second half. But, um, I mean, I would, I would hope that this, this is a more straightforward win with, uh, with this seems like a Jekyll game as well. I kind of, I'm agreeing with everything Jake's saying today, which is kind of, you know, I, 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 this is good. I guess it's good news, Thank but. You. Yeah, everything he's been saying. <laughs> what's funny is I actually started going before him when the, this podcast started, and then and then now Jake's ahead of me, so I'm actually agreeing with everything he's saying. But uh, look, this is a Jekyll game, and uh, I just I also don't like the fact that it's just you know they got the Milan Derby right before it too, you know, because if they can go back go and have a great result against Milan, it's just kind of like a letdown against Sheriff just. You know, with just two days in between those two games, which I don't like when you have those two really big games back to back like that, especially uh, with Champions League and like a big game against Milan or or Juve or or Napoli. Um, so my brain tells me it's going to be a zero zero one 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 game, but um, it shouldn't be. And Inter should be favorites, and they should win this game. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But I'm 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 saying three nil, two three nil, because this is. Um... I think Inter are gonna uh, are gonna go gung ho, and I think that given that Inzaghi, which leads us nicely to our next segment, and that is given the fact that Simone Inzaghi was able to rotate the squad as well as he was, and made so many changes and got the responses that he wanted. That means he has a lot of key players that are rested, including Erinjeko and Lautaro Martinez, which I think is really really important. Um, so I think Inter are gonna win this. I think I think he will continue to re- rotate a little bit. Um, I think. Korea will start again. I expect Arturo Vidal to start as well. Uh, and I think Alexis Sanchez will start too. I think he's going to continue. I think the defense is going to pretty much be the same. Uh, but, I, but, but for the rest, I think he's going to make those changes because uh, it's important for the club and it's important for him. And Alexis Sanchez, I mean, let's move on to that. He was a, he was a, a, a fantastic against Empoli. I mean, let's I mean let's let's be honest. Sure, Empoli and Udinese are not the best teams in Europe or the Serie A, but the way that Inter approached these games, the 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 calmness that they you know got through these two games, and Danilo D'Ambrosio in the first game, Alexis Sanchez in that first game against Empoli, they really showed their class. And Alexis Sanchez, you know, if he he's good enough to to dominate against these players. Uh, against these teams of this level, I was so so impressed with with how Inter took to you know approach these two games, because the thing that we've been going on about in on this podcast is the balance. There's no balance. Inter don't control the midfield. Well, they controlled these games from start to finish in different ways. Um, they controlled it against Empoli by 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 slowly working themselves into the into the into the into the game. Uh, against uh, Empoli, who was who was kind of threatening them in attack, they were more at- attacking than than Udinese was, um, and 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 Inter resolved that. And Danilo D'Ambrosio was 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 showed again why he's such an important player, um, and, and as as Andrea Ranocchia did in the Udinese game, that they're so important. These guys don't moan 
to be on the bench. When they come on, they give their 110%, and what they do is really, really good. Ranocchio was outstanding, I thought, against Udinese. These cross passes he made, I've never seen him do that so good and so well. He did it time and time and time again. Danilo D'Ambrosio stopped two goals and scored one. So, I mean, this is the kind of leadership you need in a dressing room. And that is something that Antonio Conte built with these guys. And it kind of seems to have stayed on and continued. And they're continuing that, you know, tradition, if you will, down the, you know, now that Conte's gone. And and that's that's what I take. That's the most important thing I take with me from, from these two games. What about you, Michael? What, what do you take with you from these two games? Yeah, no, it's definitely uh, it's definitely great to have. To, you know, to be able to slide guys in and not really miss a beat. That's kind of what the whole point of this is. When you're playing against these, you know, lower lower table teams, you don't have to necessarily start your full starting lineup, especially when you've got a big couple games this week coming up. So it was really good to not only have, you know, be able to not feel the full team and still get those three points in both games, but do it, you know, not just because you're fielding like, a second class team, but these guys have, can step in at any point. That's the whole point of this. And we can get Andrea Ranocchia to, to come in and play great. And we get Dembro- Dembrosio. That was like one of the best games I've ever seen him play, you know, at both ends. Uh, that goal that, that was connected between him and Sanchez was just phenomenal. And it was really impressive to see two guys who don't get many minutes for Inter really show what they can do. And not only that, but hopefully earn them some playing time, you know, coming off the bench a little more in, in the future. Um, but yeah, like th- that's one thing I liked about Conte's teams was, was, you know, they went out and bought a lot of players that necessarily when you have injuries in the past under, under our previous, you know, managers, I don't think we had uh, players that could just slide in when there was an injury or a red card or a suspension or whatever it may be. And then when Conte take over, that's kind of transitioned to you've got 17 players where you can use at any given point. And we didn't have that before. So that's what I really like right now. Um, talking about that, uh, these last two games, um, if, if, if we want to go on that route, I, I really liked what I saw out of, uh, out of Barella last game. Um, I think he set a Serie A record because he was taking shots like every couple minutes it seemed like in that game against Udinese I think he had seven attempted shots uh against Udinese and that was a Serie A record in a half for a midfielder of all time which was I can't I couldn't believe it like that's um that would be the record but he said it and you know three I think three of them were on target he almost scored three of them a few of them got blocked um I really like uh when I was having Brozovic earlier in the game um, Dumfries, you know, good at some points, good at not some points. I'm not, I don't know where we, we really, we really stand on what he's been able to give for us so far. Um, I think there's still a lot out there to, for him to prove. Um, but I love the fact that we can play Renokia instead of DeVry and not miss a beat. And that really helps. And I really hope that, uh, Korea can keep keep this up because he seems to score in little bunches when he gets hot and he really, really helped enter against Udinese. And, uh, if he, if he starts, uh, if he starts next week, let's, let's hope he can keep it up. What about you, Jake? What, what, what do you take from, from these two games? Uh, I think the clean sheets are probably the most important thing to take from it. Uh, I think Udinese were very negative yesterday. I thought they were pretty content in, just trying to limit into and seeing what they could maybe get on the break if they were uh, sort of if they were lucky really. Uh, I think looking at the bulk of the squad, I think the only thing that concerns me uh, is not resting Barella. That frustrates me a little bit. Uh, I'm, I'm worried that he might burn out a little bit. He was, as Michael says, he was fantastic yesterday, so it's not maybe affecting his performance. But with the fixture kind of looking the way it is over the next sort of three or four weeks, I'd have been probably wanting to rest him. Uh, that doesn't mean play Gagliardini, by the way, but it, it would be 
probably beneficial to have given him a rest. Uh, Building on what you said, Neymar, I'm, I'm massively impressed with Ranocchia. I think I, I mentioned it yesterday uh, in my feature that it's almost as if now he's he's probably the most content he probably has been in an Inter shirt, yet he never seems to play many games. You know, he, he was someone who had the finger pointing at him a lot during what was a bleak period for Inter. You know, a time where there was links between signing him or Benucci and Inter seemed to go with Ranocchia and he got a bit of the brunt sometimes, having to follow on from the treble winning side. But he's really sort of found a niche for himself, and you, you, you simply cannot disrespect uh, D'Ambrosio at all. He's, he's massively clutch. He was in getting into to the Champions League again uh, with that block against Empoli you know, a couple of seasons ago. Similar block in the derby match. He seems to pop up with some goals, and it must be difficult to think. You know, you're a player who's used to playing a lot of first-team football who now goes and sits on the bench for weeks on end. But it just shows you what culture was created under Conte. He's got them really moulded as a squad. And even when Conte is now <clears throat> no longer at the club, it's still really evident to see that these players are all pulling together, playing for each other. And maybe in D'Ambrosio's case and Rinocchia's, it's the fact that they've been through such a hard time at Inter and now see the quality amongst the squad and really want to pull through. So for me, I was really pleased with both performances. I thought they were really solid. You know, Empoli was a massive banana skin. I, said, I predicted 2-1 uh, last week and, you know, they, they did it better than I thought on that one. And the Udinese result was pleasing once that goal sort of went in anyway. Absolutely. Good points. Um, I mean, just quickly on Denzel Dumfries, I, I want to build on that because I think that's a really interesting thing that you bring up there, Mike. Um, I don't know where we are with him, but I am willing to give him that time because we see bursts from both of fr- from him that are really that's really impressive. And one thing I don't know if you guys noticed tactically is it's as if Inzaghi told him that he should be almost like a third or fourth striker because he was he was he wasn't like offering depth and width. Uh, on the wing, that was more uh, coming from the midfield. He was in the he was in the box, ready to to head and fight for the ball and shoot and finish, which I thought was a really interesting tactical move. Um, but I'm I'm really happy for him because he did struggle. Let's be honest, both him and Joaquin Correa did struggle quite a bit. Uh, but it's really really important. They were really awful. Let's be honest. Until the 60th minute, they both had shocking games. But and this is a big but, um, if you can, despite a bad game, score a brace or make an assist, that that helps your confidence so much when you're at, at a new club who has a new coach who's trying to get you in. And and, and I, I think that's the, the thing that I take away the most um, from, from this, because uh, I, I, I'm not ready to sign, you know, to write either of them off. But I do think that it was important to see that both of them give a performance like they did after struggling for 60 minutes like they both did. Um, yeah, for sure. I'm not... On that point about Dumfries playing like as an attacker, Nima, that's exactly what Dumfries did for Netherlands at Euro. Like mm. he was basically playing striker as a wing back for the Dutch uh, at Euro. And he was like he was like having breakaways. Like you don't see that as a as a wing back. There was multiple times at Euro where he was like being sent in on like breakaways. And if if that's what suits his role that that's where he's going to find the most success then so be it then have him play as as uh as as such more of a of an attacking role because if that's what he's good at then then that's what he should be doing um i i, I think that if that inzaghi sees that and maybe inzaghi kind of had that mentality when they when they brought him in or when marota brought him in and look look maybe his defensive uh his defensive skills aren't aren't there, but he's attacking. He can get in there. Why not? And and now that you brought that up, I think that's pretty much what they looked at and said, look, this is what this guy succeeds at, and we need to keep keep him doing what he's what he was doing for the Netherlands. Yeah, and I think we should remember that he well he didn't have a preseason with Inter. He literally arrived at the end when when the season started, and I think that's really important. And it was a rather it was a crazy preseason for Inter as well. I think it's going to do him some good. Uh, when they reach the end of the year and they have a you know the Christmas break and then he comes back and he starts working with the team again. I think the more train he gets to train, the more he quickly, the quicker he learns Italian because he doesn't speak it either. It, the easier it's going to be for him. But one thing I got to say is Ivan Perisic, what a leader this guy is. I mean, I, I mean not just his performances, but I don't know if you guys know guys noticed, but how he 
has become like a dad in this team. The same, you know, he he takes care of the younger players. He was, you know, after after the the goal the goal, he went up to Dumfries and was really like hugging him and you know telling him you know good job and uh, for the assist. I was so so impressive to see, and that's that's really important. I think this Inter, one of the things that Spalletti started to 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 a certain extent and Conte perfected, and now with the with the addition of Dumfries and Jeko. Uh, who were who were all captains in their national teams or club sites previously? That 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 shows leadership. And with Perisic, who is a leader, that I think that you cannot under like underestimate the importance of that to have characters like that. I mean, Perisic is not a wing back, but Conte made him into a really good one. And since then, I mean, the last few weeks, I think he's been Inter's best performer consistently. Um, and and, Dumf- and Dumfries is is struggling, and to see someone, you know, pep, you know, give him like a pep talk and push him, and and if you know, positive, fill him with positive energy when things are 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 struggling, when when, when he's struggling, and he make he does something good. I think that like, you cannot underestimate that. It was really really interesting to see. It was really really interesting to see. Uh, and that means that this, you know, this isn't like the days of Icardi and Nainggolan when they, you know, when 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 they when they didn't really like each other too much. This is a pretty close knit unit, and and I like that, and I think that's important. How about Perisic's play on that goal? Uh, Stunning. On the first goal. Stunning. Stunning. Absolutely incredible. He's the one who creates that goal. I mean, you know, I think Correa's finish is great, and his we know his individual technique is brilliant, but that's that's Perisic's goal. He's the one who creates that entire play. Yeah, he. Uh, like he totally, uh, I forget who the defender was who was marking him, but he totally fooled him, like totally. And and it's almost like he sees Correa moving before the ball even gets to him, so he already knows what he's doing, and he's able to fake him out so well. And that goal obviously never happens without Perisic using his head. And hey, listen, this is not something we see we saw from Perisic three years ago. Um, I felt like Perisic would only do only do great things when the game was already out of hand, and that, that's just not the Perisic of this year anymore. It's not. He's he's doing things when the game is on the line, and the game was on the line when that happened, and Inter pretty much won that game because of that play. And who knows what would have happened later in that game if, if they would have scored or not. We don't know, but he made that play happen, and I think he's the reason why Inter won that game. I I, th- I, I agree 100% with that. I think he he unlocks that game with that move because it gives Correa that kind of space that he needs to and one on one with pace. Then he's you know almost unstoppable. I mean I, I keep saying that technically in the Serie A in, on an individual basis, I think Correa is one of the three best players in the Serie A on an individual technical basis. The issue has been that he's not he can't make it count and he isn't. Uh, player that delivers points in terms of goals and assists. Um, it looks great. He, he does a nutmeg. He does a dribble. He does a, you know, a, 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 you know, something you know, crowd pleasing. But it doesn't result in points. Yesterday, you know, Perisic opened up, uh, unlocked that space for him, and he was, and 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 he was, you know, he was able to capitalize on that. And I think that's really really important. So so I'm with you on that. Right, let's um, let's move on to the part of the show where we pay tribute, rip the piss out of and criticize someone or something heavily in the world of football, starting with the negativity, which will be presented by Mr. Michael Gallo. Oh, well, it's another week in Serie A and another week of some VAR problems. Uh, just every week it seems to happen, and this one seems like it's the worst one of the year. Um, I don't know what was going through the mind of, of referee Marco Di Bello, who I haven't really seen much of this referee. Uh, I don't know how long he's been refer- refereeing in, in Serie A for, maybe not too long. But the call that he made in the venezia Salernitana game was horrific. I, it's one of the worst decisions I think I've ever seen. It's, I mean, look, look, we've seen some bad ones over the year, and you know, we've in our brains we've got hundreds and hundreds of of bad referee decisions over the years that we've seen against Inter, but this is up there. I'm going to say it's top five for me that I've seen at least um, from watching Serie A. It was horrible, and not only that, it was it cost it cost Venezia the game. Uh, what happened was uh, the ball was played back to their uh, 
I think it was Lampadu who who uh, who it happened. It went to yeah, Empa- Ethan Empadu who was playing. He was at the back, uh, and the ball was played back to him, and it was a little bit off off. You know, wasn't on going towards him, so he had to make a little bit of a challenge on the ball. Wins the ball perfectly. And the play continued for about three, four seconds. All of a sudden, the referee, DiBello, just decides to pull a red card out. And he didn't even – it wasn't even a foul. And we don't even know what would have happened had, like, it wasn't even a goal-scoring opportunity, maybe. But he, it, he didn't even, like, make no, any type of contact. I don't even think he made any contact on the, play, on the player, on the attacker. He made full contact on the ball before he eventually slid in. And I was shocked that VR, VAR didn't overturn this. And sure enough, the game, I believe it was 1-1 at the time. And then uh, Venezia gave up a 95th minute winner when they were down 10 men for the last half an hour. And for a team like Venezia, who's at the bottom right now, this could be the, a decision that could prove you know, life or death for them in Serie A this year. And it was shocking. And then Venezia's uh, uh, social media account was on fire this weekend. This wasn't only only the only thing, but no, they literally no, no, no. <laughs> this was the only best thing they did. But they they literally tweeted the video of it, and they're, I think they put an emoji with a with a like a question mark on it. They like we don't know what this is. Why are we getting a red card for this? And I can't believe VAR did not. Uh, overturn this. I mean, this is why we have it. If it isn't this the very definition of a clear and obvious error? Yes, yes, it is, and it should have been overturned. And I don't know why it is. I don't have the answer for you, Nima, and that's why I'm giving them the emoji of the week because I don't know what happened. I mm. don't know why this happened, and it cost them at least uh, a point with a team that they're fighting against for at, relegation at the bottom. Yeah. And who knows uh, if if uh, if this could be costly at the end? We don't know. If we look back in May, and Venezia misses out by by a point or two, and it's Salernitana that that's that's the team that's in in seven seventeenth uh, place. We're gonna look back at this moment, and they got screwed. And I don't think enough. Uh, I mean, I haven't been on on Twitter that much lately, but I don't think there was enough made about this because this was horrible. It was horrific. Oh, it was. It went viral. And, it went viral. It went absolutely yeah. viral. I had yeah. people saying stupid shit to me like, oh, but it was contact. And, I, and and this drives me insane because, first of all, there's no contact. He's on the ball and then he's on everybody. Like the ball is stopped. And yeah. that it's, it's the definition of a good tackle. Okay. Yeah. It was a and, great tackle. Fantastic tackle. Uh, exactly. There was a poor ball played towards him, but mm. he had to make a challenge on it. And he did everything he could to do it. I would have never done it as a defender. I would have never done anything differently uh, as a defender there. I don't know what what DiBello was was thinking, and and I understand that you know as a referee you need to make a, a split decision in, in a very tight time. But he also knows he's got the benefit of VAR to correct that decision to go look at it, and and they didn't, they failed. Yeah, and and, and I have a, and, and given and it's quite an accomplishment given the last week or so to 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 make. A challenge to, to to do as a referee to be to make such an awful call that you become that that this stands out like because the others are horrific as well and the lack of consistency. Um, yeah, I, I have a gut feeling, Mike, that Marco Di Bello is going to be in charge of the derby. <laughs> I, I've, 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 ever since I saw that play, I was like, yeah, they're going to award him by giving him the derby. <laughs> Please not. Please don't. I, yeah, I just I can't shake this gut feeling. Yeah, we'll find out in a couple of days who the referee is going to be, but I'm hoping it's not Marco Di Bello because that was horrible. <laughs> right, let's move on to something much more comical, this week's Frog, which we presented by Mr. Jake Smalley. E clamoroso! Autogol di Ranocchia! Well, this is something that was drawn to my attention this afternoon. Uh, I was sort of going to go with a bit of a or a token gesture, but uh, I, I seem to remember this from quite a long time ago. But this weekend marks 21 years. It's the fastest red card in the history of football. So Lee Todd was playing in Sunday League football 21 years ago, uh, playing for uh, Cross Farm Park Celtic against Taunton East Reach Wanderers. And it's been recorded as the fastest ever red card since records began. And the best thing about that is how it's come around. So, non-offsets referee Peter Coe warned all the players before the start of the game not to swear at all during the match. So, as he was literally kicking the game off, I went to blow his whistle. 
As he blew his whistle, Todd bent down and went, fuck me, ref, that was loud. Looked up and a big red car was in his face. He was sent off after just two seconds. <laughs> he was then banned for 35 days from all Sunday competitive action and fined £27. So, uh, that, that, that is, it, is it, did it actually, did this actually happen? This is real. This is deadly real. Lee Todd, if you're out there, if you listen to the pod, there's your moment of glory. Mm, yeah, get in touch because we want to, this is like the the mother, This is, you got to, oh my God, I want to hear this. Absolutely. <laughs> well, right. that's, that, that's got to be the, the, the fastest red card to ever start a game. But I think that Sulimantari still has the fastest red card from entering a game and then getting mm. a red card. <laughs> against Catania. Against Catania yeah, away, yeah. That is unbelievable. Coming yeah. on, causing a 20 second, I think 10 seconds later, <laughs> he causes a free kick outside of the penalty area, gets a yellow card. Then in the wall from that free kick, it hits his <laughs> arm inside the penalty area. It's a penalty and he gets the second. I mean, there are, it's the most, it's the worst substitu- substitution that in the his, in the history uh, the his, in, in, in yeah. not only Inter's history but in the history of football like that is the worst contribution that any substitute has ever made i've and, got montari's I, I got montari's face reaction burned in my memory from that game i've got i've got Mourinho's face <laughs> i burned in mine he was he was incredulous he was he couldn't believe what he was seeing he, he couldn't believe what what was going on he thought it was like someone was like he was on candid camera or something um but yeah no, it is. It is what it is. Right. Um, let's move on to something much more positive. This week's Moratti, which I'll be presenting myself. He's, he works a lot. He's intelligent, and he surprises uh, people sometimes with his uh, ideas. Not easy to find one person of this uh, qualities. This week's Moratti. I've I've had a few. Uh, you know, I was going to go with Joaquin Correa because because he's made some some uh, because of the turnaround because I think it deserves it given how. Uh, how how he struggled at Inter so far, and he's not had a good time. But to but to turn it around, and every time he scores, he scores in twos. Uh, the last four times he scored in the Serie A, he's gone on to score a brace, which I think is a pretty pretty interesting record. But and and I and I was kind of you know should I choose Perisic for his leadership and Edin Dzeko for the for the for the you know for their leadership? But I have to give it to Venezia's English uh, English uh, account on Twitter who uh, this is the greatest tweet or post on social media of all time. So they, as, as we all know, Venezia, they released these extremely high fashion, fashionista, elegant jerseys, first, second, third, and fourth, right? And the ESPN FC, who've had an absolute shocker this past week, um, they posted a photo of Simone Inzaghi with the headline: uh, "Should Antonio is Antonio Conte the right fit to take over Manchester United?" Which is, in and of itself, absolutely chef's kiss good uh, in terms of stupidity. But that doesn't even get the the the, the, the number one spot. <clears throat> they they took these photos of of uh, Venezia's, which are incredibly high fashion. That you can tell that you know they've hired expensive stylists and they've hired expensive designers and photographers and models. Sh- and, and models. And models. <laughs> yeah, the models too. It's it's all very high fashion. It's all very couture. And they and they decided to post this and say Venezia have dropped the kit quartet of the year, but they kind of used you know filters and stuff when editing it. And Venezia, who are not taking any shit from anyone after the week they've had, they saw this, they quote tweeted it, and they wrote, and I quote, Why is ESPN editing these photos? I guess the fashion photographers from Venice and Milan Milan needed someone in world art capital, Bristol, Connecticut, to apply the finishing touch. That is... (laughs) That's great. (laughs) Whoever wrote that, you are a hero. <laughs> that is, they've, they've got a great social team. What what can you expect? That's what these 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 Italian teams are. Uh, Roma's is is just as good. They 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 get these you know uh, first language uh, English speakers in these in these social accounts, and they crush it. And Venezia's looked at Roma, and Roma has been crushing it for years, and they're doing the same thing. And they had every right to to bury ESPN FC because that because that account is just horrible. I mean, they've they they do a good job at 
you know, collecting news and putting it into one spot, but they also have shocking tweets, and that was one of their worst. Yeah, it really was. But I mean, for me, I mean, the worst one they had all week is 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 the one with the photo of Simone Inzaghi whilst wearing a Lazio uh, suit, and you the headline should um, is Antonio Conte the right man for Manchester United? That's like, what is it? Bring your seven year old to work day? I mean, <laughs> Jesus. Uh, right, that's all we have time for this week. I'd like to thank Sheridan uh, for Sheridan Bird for joining us, and also like to thank you, Mike. Thank you very much for having me, and, uh, and a quick little shout out to my buddy Fab, who uh, who didn't think the D'Ambrosio goal should have counted because he thought uh, a penalty should have been awarded oh. uh, a minute later, a minute oh. earlier. I'm not going to make a comment because I don't want to get into it because we're at the end of the show. But he may have had a point, but I'm not going to get into it. Thank you for having me. Another time uh, we can discuss, and uh, great being on again. It's good to have you on. And I had that debate with him, and no, it's not a penalty. <laughs> it's not a penalty. I'm sorry. Yes, it's a penalty. As as we as we concluded the discussion, that's a penalty. The same way that Denzel Dumfries' touch is is a penalty because they're both both just touches. Um, I'm tired of these soft penalties. And and the thing that pisses me off the most is Rocky saying that we're not going to give soft penalties anymore, and then they proceed. To, to, give give soft soft, to give soft penalties. To give soft penalties. And it's just, it's just okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Lorenzo Pellegrini, Simon Kier and Lorenzo Pellegrini, after Ibrahimovic was given a penalty, they didn't. I mean, the, the lack of con- inconsistency in this league is what kills it. And, and uh, everyone agrees. Like, you can't give one and not the other. They can't even be consistent in one game. Anyway, let's not get into that. Yeah. Um, I'd like to thank you, Jake. Thank you for having me. I've had uh, I've had quite a rough week myself personally. I've had uh, I've had a really bad cold and I've sprained my wrist playing five side this week. So uh, if that's what it takes to get into to win back to back turnover games, uh, I'll take a bullet to the head for a win on uh, Sunday as well. <laughs> are you oh, playing? Ke- are you playing keeper? I, I did by accident. I was involuntarily putting golf for the last few minutes. I didn't have yeah. a chance to put my gloves on and I made a world class oh. save. I might add, but I, I lost my wrist for the. Uh, aye, aye, aye. Okay, uh, well, we hope you recover. Uh, uh, we hope all of you are out there listening. Uh, we wish you a good week. Stay safe, six points, listen to your authorities, take care of each other. Sempre es, sempre es solo, forza Inter.